0: This is Brian, and this is behind the scenes with Brian. And today I'm joined by Risk Expert Franco Boni. Franco, how are you today?
1: Excellent, Brian. Thanks uh, you. Thank you for asking.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, we're we're still during the pandemic, but it feels like it's in its final throes, even though we've got variants popping up here and there. My son was actually really sick last week with one of the variants, but Hopefully it's not negatively affected you and your life and your, your business too negatively.
1: Well, not at all. I mean, uh, during the first waves, uh, we kept quiet in our place in Whistler. And since uh, eight or nine months, I have restarted traveling almost normally. Mm. But I pay a lot of attention on where I go and what I do. And, you know, we're still a little bit wary of the pandemic
0: oh for sure for sure yeah my travels have just started and it's uh-huh. going to be back to the hectic traveling schedule pretty soon yeah.
1: as for the business the fact that i've been proning for the last 20 years that uh, we could do a lot of work from desktop using yeah. satellite imagery and stuff has been really favorable to me so our business has been booming. Yeah, and that, yeah. in
0: that regard, the pandemic has taught us a lot of things. And mm-hmm. and that's one of those is that you you don't always have to be right there. There's sometimes no substitute for it, but we, we can do a lot of things remotely.
1: Yes, absolutely. I agree with you, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Franco, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education.
1: Mm hmm. Um, as my accent states i I am of italian origins although i'm now a proud canadian since many many years Mm. i studied in switzerland in a university that uh, was created to foster civil engineering and dam construction so that would be the technical university in lausanne and uh, after maybe 10 years of practice, I became really interested in probabilities applied to engineering, to geotechnical engineering. And so I decided to make a PhD, to do a PhD, which I made in uh, a, a prediction of performance of deep foundations. Mm-hmm. And um, I had already done a lot of work on slope stability and stuff like that in the Alps in very complicated geological settings. And as soon as I was done with my PhD, the phone started ringing and uh, my first clients were hydro uh, companies. Um, that had dams and penstocks on unstable grounds in the Alps and wanted to decide what to do with those. At the time, it was not top called risk management. It was called good engineering, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. good <laughs> engineering. So I started getting involved into what became then my only specialty, which is quantitative risk. And that's how it all started then one day oh sorry
0: oh go ahead go ahead
1: then one day uh, a client from vancouver uh, called me in because they had a big problem with uh, some slopes uh, prone to natural hazards and word of mouth they came to you know they sent me a fax do you remember when (laughs) fax and and I arrived in Vancouver and I fell in love with the city and the people and uh six months later I had a branch office and then little by little I let the company in Switzerland basically die slowly <laughs> mm. and and Riscope was born in Canada
0: Riscope so what does what the does that have a meaning to
1: the word Riscope? Of course, it's like, uh, you know, it's the same route as microscope or telescope, but uh, for risk. So we, we help our clients to see through yeah. uh, for risks. Yeah, That's so, the meaning.
0: Yeah, so you, you probably have a broad base of clients, or at least in the, the origin days of your company, you probably had clients that were on all different lines of work.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, We have done even chocolate makers in Switzerland, (laughs) (laughs) but um, little by little, we have really gone into big industry and specialty, especially mining. Now, note that the mining client is basically like working for a country because they have railroads, they have pipelines, they have roads, they have Mm, all sorts of infrastructure. Yeah,
0: power generation. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. So if if a client, a mining client, asks us to do a, a overall review of the risks, we are back to square one, applying our methodology to all sorts of different uh, realities within the same system.
0: Yeah. So I, I know there's a lot of different types of risk assessments, Bowtie and FMEA. Do you, do you find yourself using any or all of those, or do you find one personally that's more applicable?
1: Um, We are not too much uh, into bow ties and and FMEAs and that kind of stuff, because we see a number of problems with those. Um, First of all, Let's start from from the end. At the end, many people using common practice approach end up showing matrices with colors, three colors, five by five, whatever. And that type of representation lacks granularity to solve the problems that our clients have.
0: Yeah.
1: Let me give you an example. If you have a client who has five mines around the world each one with three tailing stamps and they want to understand where they want to invest money for mitigation Uh, performing a risk assessment and coming out with 40 yellow and five reds and 25 green will not tell them what to do will not give them the support they require yeah So basically, little by little, our clients have pushed us towards finding better ways to do this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, very often when people start a classic approach, which will end up being a matrix result, they don't even define the system. They sit down in a big uh, (laughs) workshop and they start discussing the glossary is not defined the system is not defined and it ends up being a waste of time waste of resources and a lot of confusion Mm. so we have tried to to uh, do something better than that and and uh, we have a unified platform that we call or optimum risk estimates it's a Pun intended with the mining industry, of course, and OR has a general is a general platform, and then of course we have OR 2 tailings, which is our specific platform for uh, quantitative tailings dams risk assessment.
0: And and uh, whether I I think it's for the better that there's uh, a. sharper focus on tailings management these days we had to go through some really tragic events to get where we are but your services have to be in really high demand especially since those last events
1: they are they are and um we just published a couple papers where we show um for example a a overall um evaluation of 100 dams around the world. Mm. And, and that, believe me, gives you a focus and say and helps people realizing where they are. When they, we put the next dot next to the, the other 100, yeah. <laughs> they immediately know if they are in a good or bad or average situation. And, and we do that graphically with benchmarks which correspond to the worldwide performance because we are fully aware that if you tell a client that is them as 10 minus 4 and 10 minus 3 uh, probability of failure it doesn't mean anything to the client. Right. So so we have to show this and you know an image is the best way to convey an idea when you can mm-hmm. and, and so that uh, that graphic is really powerful and immediately Makes people either smile or cough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So describe your process for, especially for a risk assessment for a tailing dam. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, first of all, we, we describe the system, we define the system. Mm-hmm. What are we looking at? Because yeah. a, a tailings dam is not just a body of material. It's a body of material plus a bunch of ancillary structures, which are either the tailings distribution or the water management structures. So all that constitutes the system. Then we look at the hazards that impinge of this system. And the way we do that is by searching uh, all the documents that the client kindly (laughs) delivers to us, reading them really thoroughly. And we do that before or even without going to the site. We are quite adept nowadays in, uh, finally, we we have worked a lot in that direction uh, using uh, satellite information even publicly available satellite information like the Sentinel database, which is absolutely free and available to everyone. And so the historic uh, analysis of the archival information plus media, plus publications, plus all this, creates a body of knowledge around the system we are going to evaluate. Once we have done that, and very often the client all of a sudden sees that, he has forgotten some documents <laughs> so they, they provide them to us before it's too late yeah. um, then we, what we do we distill out of this body of knowledge um, let's say 30 to 40 key performance indicator uh, key risk indicators you can mm-hmm. choose the word yeah. that you like the best and this may be factual, like uh, design criteria for the, for the water management structures, mm-hmm, or they can mm-hmm. be um, appreciations on, on the quality of information, or they can be the factor of safety that, um, that the engineer provides us. OK, Yep. OK. Once we have all that, our system, our let's call it algorithm, Takes all of this information and works on it in order to distill a number of ranges. This is very important. We never give a single number because we're not magicians, we're not lawyers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we give ranges. These ranges are larger or smaller depending on the uncertainties that we have. And uh, and out of those ranges of probabilities, we finally get to express the probability of failure of the system in an annualized manner. So it's a probability of failure per year, which is extremely important because then we want to do other uh, uh, other analysis with this information that like, uh, predict uh, the number of potential failures over a large portfolio in the next 10 years or so forth mm.
0: yeah and yeah i just got through reading a really interesting book called signal and noise
1: mm-hmm.
0: and and it uh really discusses that almost any prediction has to be a probability whether mm-hmm. it's a prediction of today's rain they might say 24 percent chance but it's really based on some kind of probability uh, density function from from which they pull a number that they like, and it doesn't matter if it's that or a sporting event, uh, you know, the outcome of that or earthquakes or anything like that. So it makes a lot of sense uh, to put it into some probabilities. Uh, on the other hand, we, we were talking about the matrix with the different colors. At least, you know, if somebody's in the green, they know they're probably good. If they're red, they probably need to do something. So how, how does your system help your clients to see what are really the, the red flags and you know, kind of similar similar to the matrix that we were talking about? How do they uh-huh. see red flags?
1: Let, let me let, before I answer your question, and I'm not trying to evade it. But uh. before, <laughs> let me let me tell you one thing: the most common phone call we get from quoted desperate client mm. is the following. Listen, we had a FMEA done by blah blah blah. Yeah. We have two hundred yellows. What do we do now? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh the, the situation that we very often encounter on friday afternoon in our office <laughs> yeah
0: you know I'm, I'm, it reminds me of when you come to a traffic signal and it turns yellow you don't know if you should hit your brakes or speed up
1: exactly same, same so those are, yeah those are studies that don't help the clients so now yeah. Since I'm not trying to evade your question, let me, <laughs> let me answer. What we do is that we develop with our client, and if the client doesn't have it, then we, we use an example that is in our mind, based on our experience, could work for them. A tolerance threshold.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And the tolerance threshold is extremely important because once you have probabilities and consequences of all your different uh, scenarios, if you want, and you have your tolerance threshold, then you can start plugging in your different scenarios. And of course, there are some scenarios that are below and to the left of the tolerance. So they are tolerable by definition. Right. You have some that might be very near to the tolerance level, so those are already some that need to be looked at. But more importantly, and this happens a lot with tailings because the consequences are always so large, more importantly, you can see scenarios that are intolerable but manageable, meaning that you can inject some money In the form of mitigation capital capex or whatever and push the probability down so that you get into the tolerable area yeah yeah and other risks are so far out in terms of consequences that they are not they are intolerable and they're not manageable and that's a definition of a strategic risk Mm. so at that point you have to do something which means change the system it could mean take down your dam and and, you know yeah it could mean that or remove the population or do something but yeah you know some very heavy lifting uh, type of action so we have this uh, this capability and and interestingly enough and I tell you this over, over dozens, if not hundred studies, our conclusions are very often uh, uh, compatible with the Pareto rules, so the 80-20, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That, yeah, and, and that's kind of reassuring because it means that empirically, we know that it makes sense. And generally, the clients recognize that our results make sense after the first cup of coffee. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're uh, talking about corporate risk tolerance. And in the past, when I've worked in earthquake um, design events, trying to develop one, I, I, I tell that to the clients that the the risk is... is uh, really based on their corporate risk tolerance or, or the design event is, and, is there, and they would say well Brian that's not fair you have to pick for us is there is there some times when you need to advise your clients on where that uh, risk tolerance level should be for some of these events
1: using our approach we yeah. ask the client questions hmm and based on the answers we get, we are able to build a threshold that is it belongs to the client.
0: Ah, okay, okay. okay, that's yeah, that's that's good. So they they don't have to make 40 different levels of tolerance. It, it's no, yeah, okay, it's a
1: continuum. Okay, yeah, that's uh, now before we get uh, misunderstood here. Um, this is the corporate side, so it's a, it's a money, if you want.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. But as soon as we look at lives and harm to people, uh, we use either CDA uh, threshold, which is perfectly usable, right, uh, for for lives, or we use other curves that have been developed in other countries, uh, Hong Kong, Netherlands. Many countries have developed their own life, harm to life or harm to people type of curves, which are oftentimes their are NP curve and this kind of stuff. So we, as soon as there is a, a problem where a lot of people may be involved, we, we do the corporate analysis, but we also do the societal analysis.
0: Yeah, I saw some graphics somewhere that indicates or seems to indicate that tailings facilities are riskier than a lot of other things that might be considered a potential danger, like bridges or uh, flying in an airplane. Is, Is it your experience that tailings are much more risky than they ought to be?
1: Okay. um, If we talk, first of all, it's always very difficult and very misleading to try to compare a a railroad accident with a tailings dam. Because a railroad accident will be expressed in terms of injury to people per billion kilometers or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And the same goes for airplanes. So as soon as you try to compare these things, it it gets really, really difficult. But nevertheless, we have attempted something. We we already did it in 2013 in the first shot at TMW, by the way, at uh, Tailings and Mine Waste. Mm. We looked at uh, catastrophic nuclear accidents that would be class 5 plus, like Fukushima, Tokaimura, Chernobyl, of course, and so forth. And we used the number of years reactors that we had. That's a statistic that anybody can do and get immediately. It's very easy. And and then we compared that with uh, tailings years, if you want, and the rate of occurrence. And we came out with a similar number, which is astonishing. Because one would say that the nuclear industry is super safe. And tailings are not. And well, the reality, if you take a pen and a piece of paper, you don't need a computer. (laughs) Uh, The reality is that they're not so different. Mm. Also, we try to look at uh, pipelines and, and other stuff like that and railroads. And again, in terms of probability by train, not by kilometer, because that would be a wrong comparison. Yeah. Uh, we got again ballpark ideas. Now, the big, big change is that tailings, unfortunately, have a big impact on the environment. And they are extremely vivid because you can show pictures with mud and stuff, and they can kill people. Right. Um, as you know, railroads can kill a lot of people. Think about Lac Megantic. And, and other accidents that have occurred in Europe. And, and even highway can kill a lot of people. And but their environmental damage is more uh, limited in space. There may be a big fire, you know, but that's it. Once the fire is extinguished, everybody thinks everything is liquidated and nobody thinks about that anymore. So, so, again, uh, I don't think that tailings uh, warrant the bad reputation that they have, but I think that the mining industry is not doing the best job they could uh, in terms of presenting reality to the public.
0: Yeah, it's hard to paint tailings in a good light. Uh,
1: more than that, I mean, we are, we are giving out... Uh, uh misleading information like simply simply say it, the fact of telling people that we strive for zero accidents in my mind that's a very negative message yeah um, when you know that uh, IATA so the the federal av- aviation international aviation they used to have a threshold a goal of 10 minus six so mm. one in a million passenger,
0: fatality yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah. then because the huge increase of fly density now they are thriving to 10 minus 7 which is mm. honestly
0: incredible
1: yeah. incredibly low yeah but they never stayed they would get to zero mm. because if they said they would get to zero each time a plane falls down there would be an upheaval and that's exactly yeah. what has happened with the mining industry
0: yeah, I, I agree, and I, I, I see your point there, and that is a bad message to send. And I I think mm-hmm. you've I think you've gone on record stating that uh, even a few years ago, it's it's not new. It's not a new statement. It's it's something that you've been saying.
1: Yes, indeed, indeed, absolutely. I don't remember when, but um, yeah, uh, it was a few years ago. Yeah, probably just after a mount polly or something like that when the, the first Probably. time I, yeah, yeah the first time the zero accident or zero harm to people came out i i, I balked because i said we are misleading the public and we are getting ourselves into a bad position yeah yeah which we don't deserve honestly right i right. mean the simple fact that i have a lot of work means that companies are very serious <laughs>
0: And franco it must be pretty satisfying to be at your end of the work because you're helping clients to understand and mitigate and reduce some of the risks so that that must be pretty
1: satisfying it is it is yeah and well, i say yeah yeah Thank but, god none of our it, uh, clients has ever had an accident <laughs> but,
0: oh okay for the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, it's probably really difficult to know if you've had a success story because of your involvement but just that statement uh speaks pretty loudly
1: well note that um any engineer career is maximum maybe 40 years or 50 yeah, years if yeah. they are really
0: <laughs> and, and, and unless you're professor it. morgenstern i think he's going to go on forever <laughs>
1: Yes indeed. And happily so, because he's a very good guy. But I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, at the end of the day, it's only fifty years man. Yeah. And that's to be compared with uh, maybe five thousand years dam per annum. Yeah. So the experience of one person or the the, the if you want the statistics that one engineer yeah. or one expert builds over his career is pretty tiny with respect to the overall numbers in the world portfolio
0: yeah 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 good point good point well franco if somebody wanted to get a hold of you they would go through your website is that right
1: yes that's the best way yes okay uh, linkedin or yeah absolutely
0: perfect perfect yeah i think we've covered a lot of material and i and uh, one of the reasons i have this podcast is to make myself a little bit smarter and you've made me a little bit smarter today oh my god you make me you make me blemish now <laughs> <laughs> no I, I uh yeah thanks for for uh, your time today and i really do en- enjoy uh the, the podcast experience because i get to learn
1: Thank you very much. I was yeah. really happy about your questions too. Ah, good,
0: good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Franco, before I let you go, I know you're a busy guy. We're we're all busy. But did you have any key takeaways or pearls of wisdom that you could lay on us?
1: Well, I I just stated this pretty vividly at CIM. I think it's time that the mining industry stops talking about innovation and doing, I think we need to do some innovation and the innovation I consider very important is to finally understand quantitative approaches and quantitative risks, because that's really like lighting a torch in the night and looking through a little bit better.
0: Yeah, and, and just going back to the matrix, we, which we've discussed a few times, I remember you saying at one of the conferences that the stair steps in those are really artificial and they really don't have any meaning. They're, they're just constructs. That we, it would be better to, to have something like a rainbow where there are no separations. There's no black line dividing the colors. It, it's just a transition. But I, I really like your approach and I understand lot better now why the the matrix is is not the most um or the best application
1: Mm
0: -hmm. to understanding risk well i'm delighted thank you yeah yeah at the very best it's a first step but like you say your clients come to you and say we don't understand all these yellows what do we do do we Mm -hmm. speed up or do we hit the brakes yeah, exactly. yeah. Well, Franco, really appreciate your time, and uh, look forward to when conferences start. I, I think I'll be at Tailings and Mine Waste this year. I will too. Yeah. I okay. Good. We'll be paying
1: a paper for that. yeah Oh, good.
0: Yeah, and I'm gonna have to look up your Tailings and Mine Waste paper from 2012. I'm sure I've seen it before.
1: But I'm you can have find to... it in our website. Oh, okay. Uh, we have we have most of our papers are freely download downloadable from our website, as well as the glossary we use. Oh,
0: perfect. That's a great resource. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. OK. Well, All right. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for sharing your time with us, and all the best.
1: Thank and you very much.
0: Look forward to seeing you again at a conference.
1: Absolutely. All See right. you, Brian. Thanks. See you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.